in today's show. We're looking at the Toronto Raptors 2022-2023 season. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON. That's PrizePix.com. The promo code is LOCKEDON. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So let's uh, talk Toronto Raptors. A season which was very disappointing, obviously. A season which ended with Nick Nurse getting fired after the vibes during the season were pretty bad. Uh, probably some of that, or well, a large part of that is Nurse's fault. Um, questionable uh, player acquisition decisions. And just really a pivotal, I think, pivotal off-season for this team. So, warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I say pivotal because there are three starters. I'll, I'll say this team's got six starters, right? And three of those guys have an option to be free agents coming up. They're in a situation where they need to hire a new coach and they need to work out whether they're structure or, or theory of, hey, let's get everyone to be six foot nine and no one who can shoot. Is that something we're going to stick with? Are we going to continue that pattern? Are we going to continue to eschew guards and just play centers and power forwards the whole game? Um, rightfully so, and I've been saying this for a while, there is criticism coming from Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster, because it should be, because they're making weird decisions to you know, go sort of in on acquiring Yucca Pirtle, does that mean they have to pay him now, giving up a first-round pick for a team that went nowhere again? What do they do? Do they Who do they hire as their coach? Do they go to Mike Budenholzer? Do they go to an unproven coach? I don't know what they do. And it's very hard for me to have opinions on you know, which assistant would be the best option or who would be the best coach for them. I, I don't know any of that stuff. I don't pretend to know. I don't pretend to know what the assistants are like. When decisions like that get made, I can make judgments based on what I hear and what I know, but very hard to make calls on you know, whether this coat or with these assistants can be good in the uh, in the lead up to things. But they need to make calls on what they do because their core is not young. Some of it is, but not all of it is. The sort of weird timelines on players, the lack of shooting and lack of guards and deliberate lack of shooting and lack of guards killed this team. I don't think it's going to work, and I think they need to pivot. So we'll see what they do. They were 41 and 41. Again, probably with the players on their team, the quality of the coach, because Nick Nurse is a very good coach, it obviously wore out his welcome here. That's not good enough. Their net rating was 11th, which is actually really good, plus 1.5. They had the 12th best offense, the 14th best defense, yet still couldn't make the playoffs. Their best lineup for the season of all the players who played over 100 possessions and ended on the team 
Did not include Fred Van Vliet, which was interesting. Really weird lineup. Gary Trent, OG Ananobi, Scotland Barnes, Pascal Shaquem, and Christian Coloco. So not even Jakob Pertl in that mix. That's a little weird. And I wonder, not that this lineup is going to be what this team... Look at this. This is what we do. We move forward. Um, and now this is the way we go. But the fact that that lineup didn't play a huge amount, 14, 140 possessions, they were plus 29.3 though. They had other positive lineups. And the one that they started the majority of the time after the deadline, Van Vliet, Ananobi, Barnes, Siakam, and Pirtle was a plus 9.1 in 625 possessions. Yeah, that's really good as well. But interestingly, they were able to be successful with Scotty Barnes as their point guard. And with that decision that Fred Van Vliet has with a player option, Gary Trent also has an option, and Gary Trent is almost definitely gone, I would say. Um, you know, there are there is opportunities here to do they turn things over to Scotty Barnes. It's going to be it's gonna be interesting. Again, the lineup that even didn't have a center, which was Van Vliet, Trent, and Anobi Barnes Siakam, was a plus one point nine as well. So there was strength in that lineup. There was strength in a lineup that had Precious Achua at center with Van Vliet, Trent, Barnes, and Siakam, and that was a plus three point eight. Yeah, that is all. That is that, that all those things worked. So there's no clear. Well, there is a clear winner because plus twenty nine point three is a huge plus minus, but it's only one hundred forty possessions. So it's not like well, this is definitely the way that they can go here. But it was interesting. I thought that the best lineup they threw out there was that one. Their three most used lineups were all positives as well, though, and that's Van Vliet, Trent, and Anobi Barnes Siakam. Van Vliet, Anobi Barnes Siakam Pirtle. And Van Vliet, Trent, Barnes, Siaka, Mature. Not sure how much we get out of that, but we got something. At the moment, they have no cap space. There's $6 million over the cap space projected depending on options. But things can change. With Van Vliet's player option, Gary Trent's player option, Yucca Pirtle, and Will Barton, all unrestricted free agents. I expect that both Van Vliet and Gary Trent will opt out of their player options. I think that there is less than a 10% chance that Gary Trent returns. I think that there is like a 90% chance that Jakob Pertl returns. Will Barton, I don't think he plays anywhere, to be honest. And Van Vliet's the big question mark. I very much think that he... I, I think it's probably less than 50-50 that he returns. I think it's more likely that he doesn't return. Not as certain on it as I am with Gary Trent, but I, I don't really think that it's a guarantee that Fred Rent returns. He does have, as I said, that player option, which I'm pretty sure he's going to decline. It's like a $21 million uh, player option. Pretty sure he's going to decline that. And he'll be looking for more money. He's 29. This is his last chance at a big contract. I'm not certain they bring him back, but that leads to... If they lose Van Vliet and Trent, they are literally the only players on this team that could shoot. Yes, Obi, I know, I know. It's a real problem with their shooting. So that... Yeah, leads them into a bunch of other problems. Like, what do they do to address this shooting issue? How Who do they get in? Because, you know, how much cap space? So what is their max? Actually, let's have a look. What is their max cap space that they can generate? And that would be in getting rid of Ananobi. Not Ananobi. Getting rid of Trent. Getting rid of um, Van Vliet. Getting rid of Pirtle. Yeah, they can get up to $32 million, But that that's losing... Literally three starters. Well, not literally, because I said there's six starters, and that's not how an NBA team works. But those guys can all move. I said that there was a Van Vliet had a 21 million. It's actually a $23 million player option. Trent's is 18 and a half. Um, 
Restricted free agents, Delano Banton, another one of these six, seven, six, or he might even be six, nine type of ball handlers who can't shoot. That has it worked out? I don't know. Then there's the two two way guys who are both restricted guys as well, Jeff Doughton and Ron Harper. I thought Doughton showed a little bit. I'd be bringing him back if I was Toronto. Harper, I don't, I don't really think so. Let's look at the draft. They only have one pick. It is their first round pick. Their lottery odds on that are the 13th best odds. So it can jump up, sure. There's like a 4 or 5% chance of that jumping into the top four, and it's almost definitely going to finish at 13th. There's a 93% chance of them being 13 and a 2% chance at 14. So based on my recently updated mock draft ADPs, that would mean Jordan Hawkins, who would actually be an interesting shooter for them because he's a very good shooter and they don't have those. So maybe that would be an option for them. But again, everything's going to change with this team because, and we'll talk about that right now, but everything is going to change because they have a new coach. So Short Sternum Steve, which is a ripping name, he says, will the coaching change make any tangible difference in the performance on the court rotations playing time? And a lot of the time when we talk about coaching changes, probably not a massive amount changes. Even like, say, for example, Steve Clifford in Charlotte, we've seen Clifford in the past, be all right, well, he slow, makes the team play at an extremely slow pace. Um, that's a real hit. And then it didn't. They just played based on how the players were. It didn't change, look, it improved their defense, but it didn't change significantly. Nurse moving on, unless he's replaced by Tom Thibodeau, or honestly, JB Bickerstaff, I think it's a huge change because he would play like a seven-man rotation. Some of it, and I don't, I don't 100% blame um, Nurse for some of this, but he just didn't trust his bench because, again, we can trust in Messiah all we want. I don't think he constructed the roster well at all. And they're just the players that they needed weren't there. But I would expect that whoever the new coach is isn't running an eight-man rotation where the starters play 40 minutes a night every night. That just doesn't exist. Like play, Coaches don't do that. So I don't know who it is but expect them to come in and maybe play, instead of Siakam playing 38 minutes a night, maybe he plays 36. Instead of playing an eight-man rotation, they play a 10-man rotation. And they have more trust in some of these other guys or whoever they bring in. And Van Vliet's 38 minutes. If he goes to another team or a new coach comes, it's going to drop off. Or Ananobi getting 37 a night or whatever it is. Right? There's going to be a change. Nurses' defense are also really aggressive in terms of generating steals. So whoever comes in, they might be a team that's not. I'll throw Budenholzer out there because he's a high-profile coach, but those teams don't generate steals at the same rate. They don't put that level of ball pressure on. So it might not be... This This is one of these situations where the removal of Nurse, regardless of who replaces him, is going to have a significant fantasy impact on this team. I am absolutely without doubt on that. There is, there's no way you can convince me it's going to happen the other way. Today's episode is brought to you by Price Picks. They've got a brilliant offer at the moment, Price Picks. If you don't know what Price Picks is, it's daily fantasy, but it's not salary caps. It's just player projections. So you just say more or less. But a great new deal a million dollars daily super flex promotion. Every day, one entry that is placed after 8 a.m. Eastern time will be randomly selected with a chance to become a millionaire. Whoever placed that entry, you get a six pick flex. And if you get all six of those right, you get a million bucks. If you get five of them right, you get $80,000. And if you get four of those six right, you get $16,000. 
You can find the full details at pricefix.com slash million. You must also opt in at this link to be eligible for the million dollar entry. And once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal and you could be the lucky winner. So you go in there, you pick those uh, entries, points, rebounds, threes, assists, whatever. You go more or less, bang them in and you're done. You can play for many different sports. We know this. We can play for disc golf, of course. We can play for Major League Baseball, NHL playoffs, cricket, NASCAR, PGA, MMA, whatever. It's all there. Download the PriceFix app. Go to pricefix.com, sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PriceFix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PriceFix will give you $50. So don't forget, enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Okay. Um, shout out to everyone who is an everydayer on this show that listens to this show every day. Get all of the things that we talk about. Try to get yourself a leg up in whatever fantasy league, or even just watching the NBA. You guys are what makes this show great. So shout out to you guys, the everydayers. Let's look at the players. Let's go to Freddie. Freddie Van Vliet, who obviously is a really good player. He's a fantastic fantasy contributor. He was 26th this season, 20th in minus one rank, actually 10th in minus one totals, which is a huge jump. 34th in points leagues, not as good as points leagues, 27th ADP. So he beat that in, in most situations. He's 29, though. So as I said, like he came in under after free agent. This is his big chance at a big contract, four years, 120, whatever it is he's looking for. And I'm not sure that he's getting it in Toronto or he wants to stay in Toronto. And this is where the problem comes in. He played 69 games, cool. 37 minutes a night, 23 usage average, 19 points, three threes, four rebounds, seven, six and one, seven assists and 1.8 steals with 0.6 blocks, which is really good as a point guard. There are a couple of things there that make me really wary of Van Vliet without Nurse and on a new team. 37 minutes, number one. Even if it's a subtle drop to 35, it's a big deal. And 1.8 steals. Not saying he can't be a steals guy, but going from a scheme that just de-emphasizes that ball pressure might lead to that being 1.4. So you go to 35 minutes, you go to 1.4 steals, you, you may be able to do a, a bunch of different things, but what he was able to do is you generate or take advantage of the situation that he was in. And that might not be the case moving forward. He hit only 34% of his three, so there's plenty of room for that to improve. 39% overall, bad. Right, he's never going to be a great shooter. We know this. 19 points, three triples. His impact was awesome, 3.7 EPM. Darko ranked him the 24th best player in the NBA. Well, Darko is actually a forward-looking projection, so there's still hope for that, and you can see how impactful he is on Darko on that graph. But we have to worry about minutes. We have to worry about steal rate. There could be a bump in usage. He might go to another team, play, get 26 usage. That's possible, which offsets some of this. But I'll be very wary of looking at Van Vliet as a second-round guy next season. He is undersized undrafted, you might think, what does undrafted mean at this point, Josh? To me, and this is a little bit anecdotal with a little bit of evidence behind it, but these guys who aren't high-profile, elite-level prospects, elite-level players for their entirety of their career, they hit the wall faster. And that goes double for undersized players. So while if what Van Vliet was doing now was a number two overall pick who did it at age 19 or 20 in the NBA, um, I'd say he could do it to age 34. 
an undersized player who's undrafted, who had this little boost and a lot of system stuff helped him, he might drop at 31. It's it's a real... I'm not, I'm not saying that that is guaranteed because none of this stuff is hard and fast. But that would lead me to be wary. And if I'm in a dynasty format with Van Vliet, there are just enough... They're not quite red. They're pretty orange flags of like, ooh, where does this go? And I really like Fred Van Vliet. His fantasy points graph shows you just how, you know, how good he is in terms of points above minutes. And he's still not an awesome fantasy points player. He's more of a category league guy. We know this. His EPM graph was, was pretty solid, but he's just a really strong permanent producer. Very good fantasy player with some red flags. Let's talk um, Pascal Siakam. 43rd ranked player in category leagues. 52nd in minus one, but much better in points leagues. We'll talk about why that is in a second. 19th in points leagues. He had an ADP of 29. Last season, he was great down the stretch after missing the beginning of the season with an injury. He ended up playing 71 games this season, despite there being a little bit of a gap with an injury early in the season, but then he just did the Raptors thing and played every game and played huge minutes. He's the same age as Van Vliet, 29. And while, you know, again, not an elite prospect, not an elite, elite player, very, very good. I worry that his drop-off comes earlier too. Not as worried as I am with Van Vliet, but I worry about his drop-off. And again, the red flag here is 37 minutes a game for fantasy production for the years to come. What if he plays normal minutes, 34, 35? It drops everything. He play average 24 points, 1.33s, but 32% shooting only. Another player who can't shoot. Eight rebounds, six assists. And part of the reason that his category league rank doesn't jump up as high as points is he just doesn't get defensive stats anymore. 0.9 steals and 0.5 blocks. He used to be a defender who could be somewhat interesting offensively, but now he's like just offense. And he goes out there and he scores a lot on 27 usage, 48%, really, really improved as a passer and ball handler. All that stuff has been great, but it has cost him a little bit in terms of the defensive numbers. And he's never going to be a good shooter. His impact stuff is all really awesome. 2.3 EPM, 89th percentile, 9.4 estimated wins, 79th percentile LeBron. You can see how impactful he is on that graph. You can see his fantasy points graph. You can also see that big gap in the middle there where he missed time. He was really, really good. But I think, again, would you, would you be in a points league? Would you grab him in the second round? I don't think I would because the two biggest correlations for fantasy points are minutes and usage. And minutes will probably, oh, usage will probably stick, but minutes will probably drop. And that'll push him maybe back instead of 19th to 26th or 27th. And then in category leagues, because of the lack of defense, because of the lack of threes, then 43rd becomes 53rd. I don't know. Is he a fourth round guy anymore? There are too many unknowns here. Well, it's, it's unknowns, but also like, I also know that he's just not going to play 37, 38 a night. I just don't see how that's... And maybe it is. Maybe the new coach comes in and goes, well... It definitely worked for the team with the 13th lottery odds to play our starters 38 minutes a night. What a great system that was. I'll continue it. And clearly I'm being sarcastic there. But a coach could come in and do that and go, well, you know what? Nick Nurse is right because every one of these bench players is shitful and I can't trust them at all. And part of that, again, comes down to Webster and Ujiri. Because Raptors fans get pissed when I blame things on myself. Well, actually, I'm not sure if you're worried, but Bobby Webster's actually the GM. So uh, maybe we should blame Bobby. Okay, they're both to blame for some of this roster stuff. And I'm sure that player signings and trades and all that doesn't have any insight or oversight from Masai. He just says, Bobby, do what you want. I'll just, uh, I'll just do nothing. Like, I'm sure that's how it works. Um, 
and I know that's not you guys watching this. It's the casual Raptors that come in and start criticizing me for my Masai Ujiri takes. His EPM was pretty strong again. Like he's, he's a good player. He is an all NBA caliber player. He's a definite all-star caliber player. But is Pascal Siakam the best player on a good team? And I feel like saying the answer to that is no. And at age 29, with a minutes decrease, I think we're going to see some stuff change for him. Let's talk about the Jedi. OG and Anobi. But what about Scarf? OG. Stop OG. Uh, you better stop OG. You'll notice that we are three players in, and we haven't talked about Scotty Barnes, because he was the fourth best Raptor for fantasy leagues this season. OG was 47th per game, 43rd in totals, 51st in minus one, 78th in points leagues, and ADP of 62. Really, really good. He's only 26. Now, to me, OG Ananobi should have a gigantically high fa- uh, trade capital in the NBA. He's a guy that you know, had 19 usage, 36 minutes, which probably comes down, but can hit some threes at 39%, hit 84 from the line, almost two steals, 0.7 blocks. Again, the nurse system is somewhat impactful there, but he's an unbelievably good defender. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the entire NBA, and he showed an ability to be better offensively. That's ridiculously valuable. Now, I think... Is the, I'm not sure how controversial this. I think that what in terms of where this team is, and if they end up losing a Van Vliet, that Ananobi to me is more valuable, four years younger, than Pascal Siakam. He, can he ever have the offensive upside of Siakam? Probably not. But Siakam also didn't have the upside of Siakam until he was put into that position. But it's all about trying to build into future success. And if... Siakam is that guy as your number one offensive player, I don't think that brings you to offensive success. So if I had to pick between Siakam and Anobi, I'd probably keep Ananobi. I also know that you probably get more in a trade for Ananobi, or maybe you don't. But I'm not sure where this team goes, and I wouldn't be shocked if one of OG or Siakam is gone. And that brings in a ton of capital for trades and future players, or current players, younger players. OG averaging 17 points, two threes, almost two steals, five rebounds, good shooting. Advanced stuff is, is really strong. Um, you know, 93rd percentile EPM, 65th overall in Darko. You can see how much of a positive e- contributor he's been through in Darko. Yeah, his fantasy numbers, about the same as Siakam's in category leagues. Not as in points leagues, but a lot of that is fueled by the insane high steal numbers. Now, he's an awesome defender, but we also know that an awesome defender might go from 1.9 to 1.5. Still a great number, and that costs you 20 ranking spots, and your season looks way worse. Always important to look at context with what someone's doing. Could Ananobi ever have a 20-point-per-game season? I think that's probably pushing it. But 19 points? Maybe. Could he ever get to four assists? Maybe. Usage, what could it top out at 22, 23? He's still not 26, though. That's the thing. We've probably got two more years before we get to the actual fully realized OG Ananobi. So I, if, in terms of when I look at Van Vliet, when I look at Siakam, and I go, yeah, I think we're on the downswing here. I look at Ananobi and go, no, we, we, we can push higher. And if Van Vliet is gone, if Siakam is gone, if both of them are gone, if one of them is gone, you're going to see, I think we're going to see more from OG. Now, of course, he can get traded to another team like the Grizzlies, and he has to play behind Bane, Jaron, and Jar, and doesn't touch the ball much, and then that stifles what he does. But there is an opening here that we have we have not seen, I don't think, the best of OG Ananobi yet. I think there's still more to come. Not a lot to see on that fantasy points graph, um, and his EPM like just constantly a positive. 
defensively with some offensive boosts as well. I really still think there is a lot more to see from OG Ananobi. Let's look at Jakob Pertl, back for his second stint in Toronto. A lot of people were really disappointed in Pertl, um, considering he was drafted at 71 for his time in San Antonio. I was very, very much, very much on the bandwagon of this is a huge buy low while he's in San Antonio. Um, please don't drop him. There were people wanting to drop him. And I think that worked out pretty well. And in the end, like 67th in category leagues, 75th in points leagues, I think some of the histrionics regarding how bad he was and dropping him was a little bit overblown. He did suffer a drop. Now, I thought he was one of the best five defensive big men in the NBA before this season, and it did drop off. Like, he, he wasn't quite as good, but I still think he was still really good. Um, He's going to be 28 towards the start of next season. Played 72 games, only 27 minutes with 18 usage. I don't know why they traded for him. I think he's good, and they did need a center, but... Did they need to go in and give up a future first rounder for an unrestricted free agent? Does he make sense to bring back? Well, he's closer to OG's age than he is to Siakam and Van Vliet, so that's interesting. Um, 63% shooting, 12 points, 9 rebounds, 1.2 blocks, 1 steal. They didn't give him the full big minutes run that they did with other players. And some of that was because Nurse was just like, I am absolutely committed to making you know, Siakam play center and you know, run this lineup with Gary Trent because again, no one else can shoot, and that was part of the conundrum. So I don't, I sort of feel sorry for Nurse, but I also criticise him at times in that, like he played these insane lineups in insane minutes, and then he didn't give it to Pirtle because he had to get Trent and Van Vliet out there because nobody could shoot on this roster. There was no one else. The four can't shoot. The three can't shoot. Like, I don't know if he can shoot. Like he's all right, but he's not a shooter. Same as Siakam and Pirtle obviously can't shoot. So it was a trade-off between rim protection and defense versus shooting out there. And that, that impacted what Jakob was able to do. Impact-wise, he was pretty good. Darko had him at 42nd in the NBA, 83rd percentile EPM, 69th percentile LeBron. Like, just a positive contributor consistently. And when he did go to Toronto, things got better for him on a consistency basis and a production basis. And, and as I said, I, I do believe that he is going to be back on this team without too much of a doubt. And I would hope that a new coach comes in and says, right, you're our center. You play 30 minutes, 31 minutes, and he's probably a top 50 player for the next two to three years, I would guess. There's not much offensive upside, but there is 14 and 10 with 1.5 blocks and one steal on 60 plus field goals. And that is a really strong player, limited upside player, but a really strong player. And I think we're going to get that sort of production from him because while we'll talk about some of them later, like the backups, not that good. Not that good. Let's talk Barnsley. Because Scotty Barnes was hyped as a rookie. He had a really strong end to his rookie season. I don't think that he was the rookie of the year, but it doesn't matter if I think that because he was the rookie of the year and he won the rookie of the year. And that led to a little bit of extra hype on Barnes. He was definitely overdrafted. Now, for me to see his ADP at 44 actually surprises me a little bit. I was seeing him go in the 30s, sometimes 30, 31, sometimes 28 in drafts a lot. He was nowhere near that. 75th overall in category leagues, 91st in minus one, which is terrible. 62nd in points leagues. He's not 22 yet though, but he definitely took, I thought, a step back this season. And the all of the concerns that I had about Barnes heading into the NBA draft started to show themselves in that like, he cannot shoot, and he needs to be in a situation where he is controlling things 
to make that problem dissipate or to reduce. And when Van Vliet and Siakam are holding the ball, then Barnes is out there as a catch-and-shoot sort of guy who can't do any of that. And for as good of a defender as he is, he's not a high defensive stats player. He's not a bad defensive stats player, but he's not a high defensive stats player. Like, OG Ananobi is a high defensive stats player. Fred Van Vliet is a high defensive stats player. And when you're playing on a team with a high defensive stats environment and you're still generating 1.1 steals and only 0.8 blocks, it's a little bit annoying. 35 minutes, 77 games, 20 usage. He averaged 15 points with six and a half boards, five rebounds, a steal, 0.8 blocks, 46, 28, and 77. Okay. His advanced stuff, Darko doesn't love him. Zero on Darko, so net neutral. 153rd in the NBA. The EPM is all right, 77th percentile, plus 0.6, but it's not stellar. He was just solid. But, now this sounds like I'm hating on Scotty Barnes, and I'm not. I think I'm just trying to provide realistic expectations of who he is as a player or realistic review of who he is as a player. He can't shoot. I'm not sure he ever is going to be able to shoot. He was able to be a better finisher as a rookie versus what he was able to do as a second-year player. But what I did see, I thought, is in the situations where he was running as the point guard, it helped a lot. We got a little bit more scoring, a little bit more efficiency. We got more uh, assists. And this 15, 6.5, 5 type line that he's got here with 0.83s, I would expect, again, this is going to be dependent on Barnes, not dependent on Barnes, dependent on Van Vliet, dependent on Trent. But I wouldn't be surprised if it just gets turned over for him as a full-time point guard. But you need to get other sort of shooting around him. So I wouldn't be shocked to see 17, 7, and 7 with a steal and 0.7.8 blocks. I'm not ever convinced that he's going to be a great free throw shooter or a good field goal shooter or a good three-point shooter. I don't really have you know confidence in that, but I do think that the field goal percentage will jump back up. So while I am, as many of you think, a Scotty Barnes hater, which just is not true, I just don't think he's as good as some people thought. And I think some people's expectations of Barnes have probably pushed closer to where mine are, whereas mine haven't really changed that much. In fact, mine might have pushed a little bit higher. So I did see a few things of him running as a point guard that were more impressive than what I saw from him as a rookie. So I do think that it might be a little bit of a dip in his overall value as we look forward. And I think that we might see with all these changes happening in Toronto or likely happen or potentially happening that Barnes's overall statistical profile jumps. Even if he only played 35 minutes, so even if he only plays 34 next season, but it might be you know, two percentage points more usage. It might be one and a half more assists. It might be you know two more points. It might be three more field goal percentage points. They're not big changes, but it could really boost him. And I think, I don't know if you'll have to draft him in the top 50 next season, but I'd be pretty confident that he finishes around that mark. Pretty confident. Not sold. I don't think he's a savior. I don't think he's a you know, multi-time All-NBA player. I don't think he's like a five-time future All-NBA player. I think he might sneak an All-Star bid at some point, but I do think that his fantasy value is probably going to jump. Gary Trent, really interesting player from a fantasy perspective. He was drafted at 88, and I hated drafting him in that position. But, you know, again, people will say that I'm a Raptors hater or a Gary Trent hater. In the end, in the way that I like to value fantasy players, he was 118th. But people will look at this and they will tell you, and they will go through his ranking number that Yahoo spits out to you, and they will tell you that Gary Trent was actually ranked, let me have a look, 64th on a per-game basis. All right? They'll tell you that he was 64th on a per-game basis, 69th on a totals basis. 
because he never turns it over. And that is true. He doesn't turn it over. Um, but he also doesn't do a huge amount else. And that's always where I have that concern. And that, that's a, a big jump. That's a 60% ranking jump between turnovers on, turnovers off. 115th in points leagues, which I think, again, is more accurate in terms of where he's category league-wise. He's only 24 somehow and a full unrestricted free agent if he opts out, which I expect him to do. I thought that was a bad contract by Masai because I don't know why you gave him a two plus one. You didn't really give him, you didn't give a, a long-term deal there. It really, doesn't really make sense. Anyway, he played 32 minutes, 21 usage. So not a high usage player, but we saw the wild inconsistency. And you'll see that when I show up his fantasy points graph in a second. When he was in the starting lineup, he played big minutes. He was great. When he came off the bench, he couldn't do anything. His value depends on, hey, do my threes go in and do I generate steals? And there was a big chunk in the middle of the season where those steals weren't there. In the end, he recovered. He ended up averaging 17 points, which is good. Two and a half threes, but 2.5 rebounds in 32 minutes is abysmal. That's Nick Young. 1.6 assists, bro. Have you ever passed it? 1.6 steals is great. But again, like the way your value gets boosted up in a nine-cat setting because of low turnovers is because he never passes the ball. So I, that's why I think that, you know, again, realistically, like it was, he was 66th overall in those rankings, sure. Would you ever, ever consider him as the 66th best player or draftable in round five or round six? Like the answer is no. You wouldn't draft that line in round five or round six. You wouldn't. Because again, the an absence of a stat is not as important as the presence of a stat. Shot 43 from the field, 37 from three, 84 from the line. His EPM was actually a negative. Darko doesn't like him, 248th. LeBron doesn't like him, he's a negative. And you see that he did have some stuff last season. And then this year, it did start to drop off. And when he moved to the bench, he just disappeared. Like he was, he couldn't handle that role. He was bad at it. And again, I don't really know where he fits. Theoretically, his shooting is important for this team. But... His inability to do anything offensively apart from shoot and he takes some bad shots at times is a concern. And while they're not the same player, like what he brings versus say a Corey Kispert in Washington where he just goes out and bangs threes, but Kispert sort of stays in that role and doesn't do much else whereas Trent sometimes tries to do other things and it doesn't work. Kispert's obviously a worse defender than Trent. But he's not in Dylan Brooks' territory, but he's in a little bit of Dylan Brooks' territory where like you've got this thing that you're quite good at, but you can't do anything else. So when you try to do anything else, it doesn't work out. And how do we balance that on a good team? So to me, he's just the type of player that I'm not that interested in fantasy. You can get steals off the waiver wire and threes off the waiver wire, and they're by far his best categories. Not saying that that makes them useless or anything like that, but... And he is 24, so there is room for him to improve, sure. I don't think it's going to happen, but there is room for him to improve. And his free agency will be really weird. Could he be someone that the Memphis Grizzlies get, look to get to replace Dylan Brooks? I'm not sure they can afford that, but could they do that? I guess they could. Maybe it's a double sign and trade. Brooks and Trent swap over. But in the end, to me, like, steals can fluctuate. Does he play 32 minutes on a new team? I don't know. And then do something else, anything else apart from shoot and get steals. And those steals were never like this in Portland. Now, Portland is the exact opposite of a Nick Nurse system, whereas we never go for steals, whereas Nick Nurse is like, sell your mum so you can get a steal. 
and, and that changes a lot of his stuff. But I believe, if I look at Gaz, that his best category... Let me have a look. Where is he? His best category this season was by far, by far, he steals. A Z score of 1.34, and the next highest was threes at 0.66, and free throws at 0.35. So he got by on steals. Actually, let's have a look. What was his turnovers, actually? Um, 1.18. So his second best category was the absence of a category with his turnovers. So I'm quite... But understand, I've always been quite down on Trent. So is this some of my biases on his level of play? Probably. There's always going to be biases that people have. I just don't really love him as a player. I think the role was wrong for him. And I worry about the steals fluctuating. But you can see on the graph, the blue line there, which is the up and down production and how it dropped off significantly towards the end of the season. The trend line is downwards when um, Jakob Pertl arrived. And his EPM graph, there was a little bit of a spike towards the end, but that also spiked in terms of average because he wasn't playing. So like he's just sort of around neutral player. And I think that's about right. Now, the, the positive for him is age. But I just don't think he's going to be back on this team. Let's talk about age. Let's talk about the wiki, Chris Boucher. Because he's old as shit. He's 30. He's 30. 185th ranked player in category leagues. 176th in minus ones. 191st in points. He was drafted in 35% of leagues at 138. Not by me in any league. Don't trust him at all. Chris Boucher is one of those players who skates by on, wow, look at the per 36s. Wow, look at the production. Wow, Nick Nurse must hate him. And I, there's a degree of that. There's a degree of Nick Nurse must, must hate him. But also, if you're running a team where Chris Boucher is playing 30 minutes a night, you're quite a bad team. And the role of a coach is not to be a bad team and get good fantasy stats. It's to win games. And I don't think that Boucher necessarily brings it to that level. He averaged only nine points this season. What, 0.83s? 0.8 blocks? 0.6 steals? He had 18 usage only. He has changed his game and he has improved. He used to be a much higher usage player and a much wilder shot block chaser, and that has dropped, but it's impacted his numbers. He shot 49 from the field, 33 from the line, 76, or 33 from three, sorry, 76 from the line. His advanced stuff is okay. Darko, 107th. That's pretty good. Like he's still a positive impact player. EPM's at 63rd percentile, but we've heard it for years and years and years, man, man if only, if only. I, I don't think that's ever going to come. He's a reserve. He usually requires one to two players to be out to start to put up good numbers. He's inconsistent. He's 30. Um, I'm pretty sure it's never going to happen for Chris Boucher. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's never going to happen. And... I think we've got to get out of this. Like I, I have no doubt that he will end up getting drafted in leagues again next season. There's this carryover effect. It's like Andre Drummond carryover effect. Oh, why Boucher do this? But the overall upside for him finding a large enough role consistently to bring these numbers, uh, it's pretty unlikely. So fantasy points graph doesn't tell me a huge amount there. There were plenty of times where guys were out and he was able to step up and, and play well. And there's no denying that he can do that. But it's about will you ever be entrusted to that role consistently? And the answer is probably not. His EPM, again, nice little spike in the middle, dropped off towards the end. I just think that he's at age 30 and this this part of his career is done. This like, oh, look at this guy. Look at the athleticism. Look at the verve. Look at the vigor. I just don't think that it's happening. Hmm. Let's look at Otto Porter Jr., who unbelievably is younger than Chris Boucher. 
I, I don't know how. Well, I do know how. He was born after Chris Boucher, but he's younger than Chris Boucher. Our opinions on players' age and who they are can be wildly skewed by so many factors. Otto Porter signed here. He, of course, picked up his player option for next season because even though he's not 30, he will be really soon, you feel like his body's cooked. 222nd in category leagues, but just barely played. Played eight games, 18 minutes a night. Now, he wasn't drafted anywhere, thank God. But he was just another, hey, here's a 6'9 forward to go with the other 6'9 forwards that we have. We've got 12 of them. So where does he play enough? Now, he'll be back on this team and other guys might be gone. But we cannot trust his body to play big minutes or big games or anything. He averaged five points with 1.4 steals. But that's so low minutes, it's hard to judge. EPM hated him, really hated him. Darko still thinks he's an impact player. It is on the way down. And I, I just, I don't think that Porter, who had his toe surgery and missed games, like didn't play after the start of, or end of November, I, you can't trust him in a large enough role consistently. But I think it was, it was just really interesting to see that he's still not 30. And he still can be an impact player, but he's never going to be that guy that we use in fantasy. It's just not going to happen. You can see, like, just, he just didn't play. This is why EPM hated him, because it was just a few bad games, and that's about it. Let's go to a more, um, not impact player, but a player that's more likely to be, an imp- or more, more likely to be fantasy relevant. That's what I'm trying to say, and that's the big sneeze, Precious Achua. 234th in category leagues, 197th in points leagues. He was drafted in, in leagues, 9% drafted, 138. And you're well aware, when I talk biases, that I don't think Precious Achua is a good player. He is only 23 and a half. He'll be 24 at the start of next season. He played 55 games, 21 minutes, 19 usage, 9.6 rebounds, half a steal, half a block. There was a little stretch in the middle of the season. We started to play well. I went, ah, maybe I'm wrong on Precious. And then it's the same shit as usual. He's inefficient. He takes too many shots. And 19% usage isn't a huge amount. But for a guy that can't do anything offensively, it's too much. It's, It's too much. Defensively, he's not bad. He's, he's an okay defensive player, but he's undersized as a center. He's not good enough to play as a wing or even as a four. He can't shoot. I just don't, I, I don't buy that Prestachua is a future starter or a future good player. He's gone from one of the worst players in the entire NBA to be serviceable enough in little stretches, but I, I don't really see the value of him moving forward. The advanced metrics are okay on him, Except Darko. That's not true. Darko and LeBron hate him. 17th percentile compared to starters in LeBron. 394th overall player in Darko. And you can see that graph there, just a consistent negative all the way through. He gets some hype at times for being an aggressive rebounder. Or look at him, he blocked a shot or two here. But half a block in 21 minutes as a center or power forward with that athleticism is shitful. And that level of efficiency as a center... And that level of usage when you shouldn't be taking that many shots is really poor. Never passes. I just think he's not very good. So he missed a bunch of time here in the middle. And when he came back, he was able to put together some good games. And that's where I went, all right, maybe I was wrong on Precious. Maybe he's turning the corner. Let's add him and see what happens. And then a few of their players came back and he got relegated again to a reserve role, which I think is his outlook. I think it's his outlook. Encouragingly, some of the stuff towards the end of the season for him was better. But I, I just don't I, don't, I wouldn't be prioritizing him at all. In fact, I'd prioritize the next guy over him. And that's Christian Coloco. Now, Coloco was a rookie. Was a rookie. 
He's older. He's almost 20, he's 23. So he's basically the same age as Precious. So that's a little bit red flaggy. He was 360th in category leagues, 366th in points leagues. He played 58 games, 14 minutes, 10 usage, three points and three rebounds is not very good in 13 minutes. But he blocked one shot a game. And that's what he can do, be a real deterrent. Now, part of my problem with him is I think the first time we really saw him, he had like what five blocks and a half against the Bulls and everyone was rushing to grab him. And I was pretty cold on that in terms of this is not likely to sustain and it clearly wasn't. Um, the low usage is probably always going to cap him fantasy-wise. Not that he'll be a 10% usage guy, but that's really what his offense um, deserves. But so inefficient as a big man. Like you're a big man. Like look at Walker Kessler. Look at, look at Mark Williams. Look at Jalen Duran, like you know, 55, 58, 60% shooting. How's he at 48 when all he's doing is dunks and layups? That's a concern. That's a huge concern. And Darko, absolutely putrid for him. Negative two, which again, rookies start really low in Darko because they don't have this huge baseline. It adjusts quickly when they're playing well, but he didn't play well according to the Darko metrics. So it didn't bump him that high, 400th best player still. I think there's still a little bit in him in terms of he's got some rim protecting, but he's never going to be, you know, what's he peak out as? Bismack Biombo, eight points, 11 rebounds, two blocks, 64%. But man, getting to 64% is a long way from where he is. And that could lead to some problems. But I do, part of it is that we've only seen him for one year, so I can't write him off yet. I thought there was enough flashes there and there was enough nurse stubbornness of not playing him that... I'm not giving up that hope and I would have played him more than I would have played a Coloco. But you know, I think some of the early season buzz on Coloco was probably a little unfounded. His EPM graph doesn't give us a huge amount there to take away. And the last guy I'm going to talk about here is Malachi Flynn, who, when he was drafted first round a couple of years ago, I was pretty interested. I thought, oh, that's weird that he slid that far. Really good pick and roll guy. Got some shooting upside. And it's really just been terrible for him so far. Now, part of that, again, is Nurse not trusting him whatsoever. And that can get in players' heads. It can screw with you. Like, oh, my coach thinks I'm shit. If I make one mistake, I'm not going to play. And that impacts players. Or clearly, like it would impact you. It, would imp- it impacts me if that was to be the case. Like if someone said to me, hey, Josh, you got this podcast, but if you mispronounce one word, you're fired. I'd be so nervous doing everything that I'd go through and I'd re-record and I'd re-edit everything. And it would take me 12 hours to get a podcast out and get behind in my work and I couldn't do it. That's not an exact one-to-one analogy, quite clearly. But that plays a part with a lot of these guys. And I think Flynn was definitely in the nurse doghouse. He didn't play well, but it was, it was, it was a part of that. His fantasy ranks are all shithouse. He's also 25 already, so an older player. 35% from three, 36% overall, five points, 0.93s, 1.3 assists. The advanced stuff is, all, is disgusting. Fourth percentile estimated wins, ninth percentile EPM, 480th in Darko. And the one thing you don't like to see, if you look at this Darko graph on YouTube, um, that as a third-year player, that it starts to go down, is that your impact and future projected impact goes, yeah, we've seen enough, like you're done. That's a worry for me. And while I was a Flynn believer that maybe he can turn into a quality backup, a little bit of a combo guard, getting combo guard minutes, and there's some pick and roll and passing and shooting ability here. Um, three years in, I'm out. Like I, I don't think it's turning around, and I wouldn't be prior. Again, the nurse stuff is... An impact, and if someone else comes in and believes in Flynn, then maybe. But I'm out, and he need to convince me um, that he can do better than this, which I'm not sure that he can. And he said, like he he had he had some opportunities. He flashes enough at times, 
but it's just not regularly enough. Now, there are a few players I didn't speak about here, like Will Barton. Cool. Don't need to. Thaddeus Young, who is 35 now and will be back, but just another 6'9 power forward who doesn't really get a consistent enough role. Jeff Doughton is a 26-year-old two-way player. So I like Doughton, but he's 26. And the other one is Banton, who is like age 24. They've got Joe Wieskamp at 24. These are guys who are young, untested players, but they're not young. Like 24 is young, but it's not that young. And Banton is okay, but he can't shoot. He still is one of those guys that can't really shoot and can provide some interesting numbers, but it's a whole philosophical, philosophical roster building question as to whether this makes sense. And I'm not sure that it does. This is a team that is in giant flux. We don't know what the coach is doing. We don't know what Trent Van Vliet, Pirtle, Pirtle's back. We don't know what those other guys are doing. Are they trading Siakam? Are they trading Ananobi? What are they doing? Are they blowing it up? Because if they're blowing it up in preparation for the 2024 draft, probably couldn't have picked a worse draft to do that for. This was the draft to do it. And they decided to double down and go in. So I don't understand where they're going. I don't understand their plan. Um, you can have trust in Masai. Doesn't always work, does it? Malachi Flynn, not good. Preston Chua, not good. Delano Banton, not good. You can have that trust, but at some point, there's got to be some criticism or some critical thinking on what this team is actually doing. And out of all the teams that we've covered so far, I think Houston and Toronto are probably the two that I expect significant changes for next season the most. Probably the highest level there. Now, if it all can change with any other team, if they get Victor Weminyama or Scoot or whatever, that can change a lot of the fortunes of these teams. But Houston and Toronto can make deliberate moves heading into the offseason or in the offseason, in the draft, in the free agency period to change the trajectory of their team. Both have already fired coaches and one's hired a new one. This one hasn't and the Toronto one's big. And then there's big decisions about what they do in terms of remaking their roster. And then when we do the season preview of them in August, September, we'll get more of an idea of what the hell is actually going on. But this is a team in giant flux and I am going to be really intrigued to see what direction they go. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.